please welcome Scott Boss. Watch this. Intimidation! Yeah. Hello, welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Bonus episode number four? Oh, I don't know. I, we okay. don't keep track. We don't number the bonus one. So we just put like, the number is the, the in between the two numbers. So we just did 30, so this is 30.5. You do that. <laughs> yes. For the website. <laughs> when I upload it on SoundCloud, it's a bit different. Uh, it is 12.02 in the a.m. of Tuesday, August 16th. Here in three days, I leave town to go to Las Vegas, Nevada for UFC 202 as Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz meet in their much-anticipated rematch. Uh, never quite been to Vegas for a big fight before, but Julio, with the film that we watched this evening, I felt like I was there even before I'm leaving. I am pumped. I feel like I was in the ring myself. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, also, it's also pretty exciting because this is the closest we've been to recording in real time, or I guess the publishing the episode in real time yeah since like maybe christmas yeah so it's 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 pretty exciting so yeah this will be up by friday the 19th uh before i leave yeah so in you know in the spirit of this giant mixed martial arts fight that we have coming our way on saturday we chose to tackle uh not our first combat sports film but our first mixed martial arts film here on the podcast as we went back to 2012 to visit the kevin james classic here comes the boom not our first kevin james movie either it's true. We just we just keep picking the winners. I mm-hmm. mean, you would think that he peaked with uh, Paul Blart, but no, there was there was more to him than that. He went on to make uh, some some better, more sound films, but uh, not everyone agreed. Uh, no, uh, starting with Ken McIntyre from Total Film, who says, "105 painful minutes of a fat guy getting punched in the face and falling down." He has something against fat guys, apparently. Uh, Frank Lovisi from Newsday says, why doesn't most of this movie take place in a coma ward? Well, because it's a movie. Tony Medley from Toluca Times. That guy, that guy, Frank Lovisi or whatever, he's probably like the guy that's like, why doesn't Tony Stark die every time that he gets hit by like the Hulk or whatever? You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's called suspension of disbelief. Um, Tony Medley from Tolucan Times says the unfunny this unfunny exaltation of visual violence with no consequences desensitizes viewers to violence and is particularly inappropriate for children. He should probably not watch actual mixed martial arts. <laughs> Janice Page from the Boston Globe says it delivers repeated blows to the abdomen, to the head, and to the groin, but not often enough to the funny bone. And then Joe Williams from St. Louis Post-Dispatch says, Loud, incoherent, and unfunny. Here comes the boom. Is the sound of American culture imploding? Jesus. That was pretty rough. It's a lot of hate. Yeah. Why all the hate? I don't understand. This is the most lovable Kevin James has ever been. Yes. As Kevin James plays Scott Voss, a 42-year-old biology teacher, who we get the impression from the opening bell, so to speak, of the film that his passion for teaching is waning. He's just kind of there to cash a paycheck. It's it's great because it's like he's just like a regular Joe, 
in, in, you know, not the regular Joe in the sense of like, oh, he's just like a normal average guy that's happy-go-lucky. No, he's a, the more realistic average Joe that's completely dissatisfied with his job mm. and has just fallen into the routine and just goes through the motions. And he's he's one of us. Yeah, exactly. He, he doesn't even have a podcast. So <laughs> I, I don't know how he keeps going. He cares not for his boss, uh, Principal Duke Boucher, uh, played by Greg German, who we discussed. Does he ever play... He's he's a villain's villain. Exactly. Yeah. He's like Fred Willard always plays the nice, lovable grandpa. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah. Um The situation at hand is like I said like we mentioned, Scott Voss has lost his passion for teaching. The school that he teaches at is on the rapid decline. Uh the budget cuts left and right, and Scott's friend, his closest friend at the school, is Marty, the Fonz. Uh Henry, Henry Winkler. Winkler making his podcast debut. He's a friend. He's also the music teacher at the school, and you find out within the first five minutes of the film that, uh, despite his age and his wife's age of forty-eight, that they they have a baby on the way. Well, he's not forty-eight. I mean, his wife is forty-eight, oh, no, yeah. but he is like he has he, to be he least... upgraded. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't really say how, how old he is, but Kevin James asks him. He's like, "How old are you?" He's like, "I'm old," <laughs> and like we know because we saw you in Happy Days, and that was like what the fifties. And so the first to go in these round of budget cuts at the school is the music program. And the uh, principal, Duke, you know, r- unveils that uh, 48 grand is what's needed to save it when Scott stands up and makes a big brouhaha in their, their teacher meeting. Yeah, he does it partly because he's just mad that, uh, that he's already been in trouble for being late. Uh, partly, I think, to impress uh, another big supporting player here in the movie. Salma Hayek. Bella. Bella. Which is, is she a teacher or is she just a school nurse? I think we never see her teaching and we see her like patching up Kevin James a lot. So I think she's just a nurse. I mean, I say just a nurse and that sounds like pretty like demeaning, but no, she's actually like probably the most capable character here in the movie. If she was my high school school nurse, you'd be hurting yourself all the time. I would be breaking bones all the time. (laughs) She's. she is she's great, and it's clear from the beginning that Kevin James has a thing for her, and uh, she who wouldn't? Yeah, and and her like wisely, she doesn't reciprocate because mm-hmm. he's kind of he's a burned out biology teacher. That well, and you can care. tell too that she's she gets hit on left and right just the way she responds to it, just kind of almost laughing it off and brushing it aside. Yeah, she, she's used to it. She yeah, she's. Talk about desensitized. Yeah, you know that that video, like, what's it called? Like, a girl walks at night or whatever. That's just, like, a video of, like, a girl. I think it's in New York and, like, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of people catcalling. It should be, like, a video. It's like, Salma Hayek walks at night and just see, like, how much worse it is. Walks it's, in high school. Walks in high school. <laughs> and Kevin James is there, like, you know. Every five minutes he's asking her out. So to attempt to raise the money, uh, Scott begins moonlighting as a citizenship tutor. Just to, locally, basically trying to help people that are hoping to get their citizenships into the United States. Um, by this way, he meets Nico, played by MMA legend Boss Rutten, who basically befriends him while trying to get his citizenship. And, um, you know, they start hanging out. He goes over to Nico's place, which is like like an attic somewhere. that he. It's not even like an efficiency. It's just like a couch and a TV, which... It, it looks like he lives with his mom. Exactly. But we never see the mom. <laughs> He's... I, with his age, I doubt he would still have a living mother. <laughs> he just inherited the attic. Exactly. Yeah. Nothing else. Uh, but he goes and hangs out with Nico and his friends, and they're watching a UFC pay-per-view. And Scott's clearly never really seen mixed martial arts before, but he quickly learns that there's money to be made in that. It's at this point in the film that it's unveiled that he was a Division One wrestler in college. I think that maybe that would have 
played some Creedence a bit earlier in the film, but no, it kind of, you know, it's a movie that, you know, it's a bowl of lucky charms. You think you've gotten to the best part and then just the hits keep coming. Well, I mean, you know, we do get a hint about something. He's not completely dead inside because he rides a motorcycle to work. That's true. You know, that's like the the opening credits. It's just him riding a motorcycle. So you can't ride a motorcycle and, and not have something cool inside you a little mm-hmm. bit. So so that's that was our first hint. And also, I mean... The thing is, like, in real life, you know, when you've given up on life, you're not, like, bragging about how you used to be a wrestler or something. You just, like, True. get through through, uh, through your day. But it's it's cool because one of the main things in the movie, it's about how fighting brings you back to life. And here, just watching two men battling it out in the ring on TV, it suddenly awakens something in Kevin James and makes him, <laughs> like, remember the glory days of when he was one of those people in the ring. So it's not just about the fact that, oh, he can make a lot of money, certainly a lot mm-hmm. more than he makes with the citizenship uh, class. But it's also the fact that, oh, yeah, those were the golden days. That was when I was alive. Mm-hmm. A lot of dry comedy throughout the sparse den here with the citizenship class and also Nico's friends and things like that. You know, the Happy Madison clan, they do get um, – and even this movie is guilty of it as well, but they get a bad rap for – really obvious in your face type humor but this movie had a lot of understated comedy it's it really it feels very different from everything else i think it's just them uh stretching their muscles which is something that you should do in a way you know happy madison is kevin james's this movie where they just mm-hmm. gotten used to the routine and suddenly you know mma brings them back to life and suddenly they're doing different things when it comes to storytelling mm-hmm. so you don't have kevin james playing the obvious uh uh wacky dumb character i mean this guy he's a burned out but he's smart and mm-hmm. he's he's not like clumsy i mean he's actually pretty talented mm-hmm. so that's uh that's them going outside their comfort zone yeah not just them but also kevin james so with boss Rutten, you know we'll get back into it a bit more here with mark delagrade when he comes into play later on but um Kind of a ballsy decision, I think, on the part of the filmmakers to have, you know, just basically the two main roles being the Fonz and Kevin James and then incorporating real legendary MMA personalities into it and just letting them run as leading roles. I, I think it's uh, it just shows it, that's a gamble that sometimes pays off, sometimes it doesn't. You know, when it doesn't, you end up with uh, Rampage and the A-Team. But when it does, you you get these two performances and and here comes a boom where these guys are charming, very charismatic. They and they get the job done. I mean, they're not they don't need to be Al Pacino, or Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. They just need to fit the part that was written for them here, and they do. Like Sinbad and Jingle All the Way, sometimes it just fits. Sometimes it's just you don't need to be a character actor. You just need to be comfortable in front in front of the camera. So Scott basically figures out, you know. Um, because uh, the fight they watch, it was Ken Dietrich who shockingly comes back into play later in the film. Uh, the gentleman he fought made ten grand, and Nico explains, "Yeah, he made ten grand for losing. That's your show money. If he would won, he made it fifty grand." And so, you know, the light bulb goes off in Scott's head that even you know if he loses, he'll be able to start raising money to reach the elusive forty-eight thousand dollars to save the music program. Um, so he begins a career in mixed martial arts, and it starts off, you know, in a on a very embarrassing note, to say the least. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess those places really exist, like the the where he fights at first, because mm-hmm. you know he can't just go to the UFC and, and start fighting for like ten thousand if he loses. We're definitely gonna get into the uh, intricities uh, <laughs> of this. Uh... How do you make it to the UFC? Yeah, exactly. Here's yeah. a how to uh, by Kevin James. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he he starts fighting at like a, a pre like 
Uh, basically, like a flea market. Yeah, basically, they're chicken running around, and uh, and he has no idea what he's doing either. He just runs into a flush knee and gets knocked out cold. Yes, but he gets to play the song that provides the movie with its title beforehand by Pod Boom and. Henry Winkler has his Joe Perry moment of the film where he informs that music is the ultimate weapon and defeat any man you need music. Um, shout out to anyone who's ever played Revolution X. Did you play that game? <laughs> yes. Okay. That's yeah. what you win is Joe Perry telling you that <laughs> music is the ultimate weapon. It's Oliver Smith, isn't that game, right? I mean, I never finished it, but I remember. Uh, it's, yeah, it's all of Aerosmith and like. Um, when you get ki- it's like a it's like a Terminator Two. It's a side scrolling mm-hmm. first right, you're person shooting. shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you get killed, Steven Tyler goes, "Don't give up." <laughs> and then if you put in another quarter, he goes, "Play it again." And then in the end, you find out from Joe Perry that music is the ultimate weapon, and you get to watch it like a uh, little fucking MIDI Aerosmith concert there at the end. God, that game is awesome. <laughs> Do you remember what they play? No, because it's just like it's and it's oh, it's basically a GIF. Yeah, okay. them, to um. I'm trying to remember the plot of that game now. Like aliens kidnap Aerosmith or something. Is that what happens? I thought it was just like a civil war kind of thing. Like you're a rebel. Oh man, I played it once. I didn't. I didn't make it far. We should do like an offshoot of us just playing old video games. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> we'll do like one podcast where it's just us getting drunk and playing old Sega Genesis games. You know, I never owned a Sega Genesis. So every time I play a Sega Genesis game, it's like I'm <laughs> because I'm like, in Peru it was called "Where is the Genesis?" <laughs> yes, where is Sonic? <laughs> uh, so going back several paces, uh, it's at this point we, it is established, you know, that music is the overriding theme of this film and the, the power of music. Um, the quote that's prevalent throughout the film, I believe, is "Without music, life would be a mistake." Yes, it's. I mean, I think that that is like on the surface. I, I actually found this is the second time I watched the movie and. This time I found that there's there's more things going underneath, mm-hmm. uh, you know, besides the fact that it, it, what fighting does to your life and what fighting, uh, how it can benefit you. There's also immigration. It's a big deal throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. It starts with him teaching this class. But really, what is immigration? What is the, the struggle to become an American citizen, if not a big fight? And and th- here's this guy teaching them how to win that fight. Mm-hmm. Uh Nico's entire subplot during the movie is uh, him trying to to you know practice for the citizenship test, which I literally forgot about. It, it's not something that just goes away. It's not used as a trope of them meeting. It's literally like his underwriting story through the entire movie. You see him studying and, yeah. and being quizzed and and everything. And and it's really, I mean, as somebody who just recently became a citizen, I can tell you that's like that's a big deal. You have to <laughs> you know you have to train. You have to. And you go up to the ring, and and you know it's it's a big deal if you get knocked out. So <laughs> you, you don't you don't get ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, he and there's a great moments of comedy when they're driving to these like shit show fights, and there he's giving him advice on fights. Then he's okay. What are the three branches of government? And they just keep going back and forth. Uh, but yeah, the, the first couple fights for Scott are abysmal. The second of which um, ends up, you know, in a torrential downpour, and they're just flipping and flopping around the canvas. Uh, during this, you know, he's getting battered, and a lot of the tension uh, with Bella starts to kind of uh, tense up. You know, her appearances in this film are pretty sporadic. She's not in it uh, for an, an, an. She's not in it for a long duration until the final act of the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, she shows up to patch him up every few times, but it's not. Uh, you know, the movie uses her well. That's mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, 
I think that it would have contrived a little too much if they tried to get Sama Hayek to have a more pivotal role yeah. here. You know, she is, uh, but at the same time, she's not there just for eye candy uh, or, or, or just to be just a love interest. She's certainly a source of inspiration for Kevin James's character, but, but she's there also, in a way, she's the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. She's the main person that's telling him, hey, maybe you should stop doing this because you're getting beaten the hell up. And uh, and that's I think that's worth pointing out because you know it's not like Happy Madison is known for their uh, complex portrayal of women. So <laughs> so here, Sama Hayek comes out on top. I mean, she's she's doing really well. Mm-hmm. She seems to have the most level head on her shoulders. We go into the third fight that's chronicled in the film, uh, in which Scott Voss fights Patrick Murray, portrayed by uh, Lucky Patrick Murray, excuse me, portrayed by Jason Mayhem Miller who gets the better of him for, um, you know, a round. And then Scott Voss knocks him out cold with a big overhand right and then throws up on him because, you know. Bad we, applesauce. We, exactly. We had a moment of triumph, but at the same time, you know, we had to bring it back to this guy is just a regular bumpkin. It, but also, I think that it was also Happy Madison to remind you that it is Happy Madison. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, lest you forget that these are the guys that, you know, are known for, for you know, Puke jokes and, and and later on food fight jokes. I mean, it's Rob it's Schneider. Just, yes, <laughs> absent from this movie, by the way. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you got to know how to use your players. Uh, but here, I think it was them also reminding their fan base because I understand this is a big departure in a way from the kind of movies that they do. So, what happens to their core audience? You know, it's like they're watching this and they're expecting to see. You know, it's like, oh, we're like. 40 minutes into the movie and Kevin James hasn't farted on anyone. <laughs> you know, okay, well, we'll have him puke so that, you know, those people can still, like, stick around with the movie. Yeah, they got to play to their audience somewhat. Um, and in this particular situation, you know, it, it it is funny because they do play it off with the applesauce joke because just for whatever reason, uh, Morty just, or Marty, excuse me, just makes his own applesauce and leaves it in the, in the, the it, it plays well because... Henry Winkler's performance is great. Kevin James's performance is, is great, and and you build up to it, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it 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 that's how how those things can work. Through all of this, we see that uh, Scott's passion for teaching is starting to resurface. It's something that had clearly been lost, given by the you know the first act of the film. You know, to see it coming back is excellent. At the same time, you know, his passion for fighting is increasing as well as Nico brings along uh, Mark Delagrati, who I honestly didn't catch his character's name in the film, uh, but I just know him as Mark Delagrati. It's the other guy that's yeah, training him. The guy who's clearly from Boston <laughs> <laughs> that helps him out with training, you know, kind of puts him through the ringer. They do the the uh, standard, you know, see what his merit is. They throw him in there with three guys at once, <clears throat> and they realize, you know, they have a fighter on their hands, so they're going to help him out here. Um, once more, we go back, you know, he's relentless with trying to get Bella to, you know, go out with him, have dinner with him, do something. And, you know, she is playing it smart, but at the same time, much like the audience viewing, you can't fight Kevin James' infectious charm. for that long. Yeah, it's, especially after you see that, oh, he's serious about this. You know, he mm-hmm. keeps, like, he looks worse every time he asks her out. He has, mm-hmm. like, bigger bruises and uh, he dislocates his shoulder. I mean, it's just, uh, how can you resist? That we do get the great scene, too, of her helping, you know, pop his shoulder back into socket. And, uh, you know... Selma Hayek's not really known for her comedic chops or her physical comedy at that, but, you know, holds her own in there with a legend like James. Yeah, yeah, I think that, well, it, it inspired her, obviously, working with him. It, she just had to up her game. And, and, and in general, that's also, the, the whole thing about fighting uh, 
inspiring someone and waking them up. You know that that's what it does to his to his teaching career. Mm-hmm. When you see him jumping on top of the desk and and being silly, trying to get these kids' attention and in drawing on the on the board on the blackboard like he hasn't in, in years. All the stuff's happening because of MMA because he's like fighting and getting punched and the adrenaline and all that stuff and suddenly he's alive again. Yeah, you know, and and that that life also obviously it shows and that makes some Hayek finally agree to go out on a date with him. And there's a lot of, you know, you said motivating and bringing the best out. You know, there's a lot of parallels you could draw to Caddyshack. You know, you had Ted Knight, uh, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, and Rodney Dangerfield, of course, all motivating each other. And this you have like, you know, Kevin James, who, you know, he he stakes a claim on the Mount Rushmore of comedy right there, along with Selma Hayek, you know, taking herself to a new level. Henry Winkler. The legend Henry Winkler. Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, a lot of, you know seasoned vets and people who didn't know they had that muscle to flex, you know, just playing off each other, and it pays off for us, the audience. I mean, everybody here, uh, the supporting cast is just delightful. I mean, everywhere you look, there's just like, uh, I don't know who the guy who plays his brother is, but, Mm -hmm. you know, he gets like three or four scenes, and he's He's his real brother in real life. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so when you told me I think that's his brother, you meant like in real life. Yeah, yeah, IRL. Okay. I thought that you you were not paying attention when he was introducing the movie. Oh, no, no. (laughs) I was like, that is his brother. Of course, they said that. Yeah, he's like in everything Kevin James is in. Really? Yeah. Oh, well. Well, this is the first time he's made an impression. He gets that Leslie Mann treatment. (laughs) Um, You know, we're talking about a lot of fun here and a lot of positives, but of course, dickhead Greg German, you know, the principal Duke has to come back in and bring us back down. Uh, he basically gets wind of what's going on, what uh, Scott's up to, brings him into the principal's office. He also has the parent of uh, one of Scott's, you know, top students. Who happens to be not American. Well, now she's American, I guess, but mm-hmm. isn't she like Filipino, I think? Yeah. It's like, once again, the immigration theme running through. She said that she didn't speak English when, she, when they first moved to America and... And music was like her second language. That's how she learned English. And I was like, oh, that's like me with Disney movies. It's- and because, you know, Scott encourages her to <laughs> to continue on with her music, she basically can't help her dad out at her dad's restaurant anymore. And he's down a chef, which fortunately, of course, everything works out well because uh, Kevin James's brother is a chef who's out of work. So, you know, basically hooks him up there. But the principal, you know, says you're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing the school. And, you know, we get a pretty solid, you know, we always joke about the Oscar clip moment, but the, that would definitely be yeah. Kevin James's Oscar clip moment. About how the he's doing what the school doesn't have the balls to do and you know, they're they're letting them they're letting the students down that type of thing. Yeah, it's like we're like maybe halfway through the movie right now and it really snuck up on me then that there's more even more to the movie now because mm-hmm. it's not just about coming back to life after being lethargic for years and it's not just about immigration being this struggle it's also about the the school system, and mm-hmm. it's just a very serious critique that just sneaks up on you. Yeah. About it does come out of nowhere, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. Right, once it comes out, you're like, oh yeah, I've been watching this for an hour, and that's really what's going on. Like the school system, it, it's fucked up, mm-hmm. it, and uh, it's uh, he just he denounces it in front of a what is he? Is he the principal? The Greg. Greg Herman German. Greg Herman German. Uh, he's the principal. He's the principal. Yeah. Okay. And then so, Elkins, the other guy who's like the he's the vice principal. The vice principal, secretary, something. Unfortunately, he comes into play <laughs> later in the film. Yeah. He's he's the obvious. You know. Uh, he was too good to be true. 
It, he definitely makes you know Principal Duke the red herring. Like right, he's like the good cop to Principal Duke's bad cop. Yeah, because he's the one that tells uh, Kevin James, "Oh, I'm 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 on your side," and you know Kevin James is the one that's like he's giving him the money and everything. But yeah, he basically tells him, you know, the school system's failing the kids. I'm having to do this to you know basically pick up from your fucking slack. And uh, it, you know, we talked about how up until this point, you could see a slight sense of reinvigoration for his passion for teaching. But after this, you know, it's full board. He's like dressing respectably again to go to school and teach and getting the students involved and all that. Um, He woke the beast inside on more than one level. And, you know, it pays off here because the students are getting a good education and he's trying to save the school from itself almost. Yeah, by now everybody knows what he's doing because, uh, yeah, the the when he threw up on that guy, mm-hmm. it it went viral. Like somebody put it on YouTube, and now everybody knows about it. So that's made the the students interested, and then him becoming more interested in his job also uh, made it all better. And we get the you know the all important montage as we've had in every combat sports film that we've covered on this podcast. Formula works for a reason. Exactly, um, and you know it shows him winning fights. He's in more, you know, kind of goofy bumpkin fights, one in which the ring breaks when he's outside. We see him just having fun while he's teaching. He made allusion to earlier in the film that when he was really passionate about teaching when he first started, he would stand and walk across the students' desks to get a point across. And he hadn't done it in years. And we get a great shot of Selma Hayek walking past and sees him on the desks teaching. We see at one of his fights, it looks like one of the bigger ones he's been involved in, one that he actually ends up winning, uh, we see Vanderlei Silva and Joe Rogan sitting front row. Uh, this does come into play as you know, Joe Rogan has an in with the upper brass at the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It's Joe Rogan playing himself. Exactly. It's which... not an actor playing Joe Rogan or Joe Rogan <laughs> playing a Joe Rogan-like character. Did he do – has he done acting outside of news, news radio? radio? I, I've never seen him in anything other than news radio. Where he's not just Joe Rogan, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a Joe contrarian Rogan listeners. But... <laughs> yeah, contrarians listeners. If Joe Rogan did any acting outside of news radio, please let us know. I'm genuinely curious about that. <laughs> uh, before any of the UFC stuff comes into play, though, he finally has broken down Bella, and you know, at this point, she is infatuated. She's fallen for his passion more than just his charm. I think. And they have dinner at his brother's house because Scott's place is a shithole. Um, and, you know, this was a, a fantastic scene for, you know, fans of MMA and fighters alike in that she just immediately starts giving him shit for tapping out to an arm like an arm bar um, because she's like, he just grabbed your arm and you just tapped out, which is something that you hear from people that have no idea what the <laughs> fuck they're watching say all the time. So I thought that was a, a perfect uh, scene to throw in there well it's also a fantastic scene for fans of uh average looking guys hooking up with super hot women exactly because they end up wrestling i mean things don't get sexual mm-hmm. but if you the tension's there exactly you can feel it and if you're like an average guy wrestling with a girl like on the floor mm-hmm. after dinner i mean that is like that is the highlight of your month <laughs> so that is pretty cool because you see Kevin James achieving that and you're like, yes, it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I really should do what he did and I should really wake up and take control of my life again. There are the situations that drive me insane, the Hollywood over uh, unrealistic love scenarios, you know, Ross Geller and Rachel, like, give me a break. Would never happen. It would but, never you know, happen. in situations like this, I really do appreciate the approach they take. Um, 
the the invention of lying. Have you ever seen that movie? No, no, that's uh, Ricky Gervais, right? Yeah, the love story in that is Ricky Gervais and um, Jennifer Garner. So I'm always a fan of you know the unconventional <laughs> love story, and in this case, it clearly comes into play. If you build it up properly, it, it you know then you can buy it because you know it's what happens here. Even an 80-pound slimmer Kevin James and Selma Hayek side by side still don't exactly match up, but they pull it off, and I believe it. Well, yeah, because again, she saw that life in mm-hmm. him. That's really it's not about the appearance; it's your appearance. And being completely genuine, it, her character doesn't go out with him because you know he wore her down. She sees like a good side in him, and right, he becomes get... a better person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is what you need to do, guys. That's what the movie is telling: become a better person, and then the hot girl will go out with you. We're already getting into real talk. This is getting this is <laughs> unprecedented here. Um, but you know, the UFC does come a call, and uh, Ken Dietrich had a fight lined up, and his opponent had dropped out. So Mark Delagradi meets. Scott outside of uh, school and tells him, you know, they they offered with a ten grand show purse, and Nico turned down the fight, and we get you know this moment of contention, and we get Nico's Oscar clip, exactly best supporting character. <laughs> this is yeah, it's um, his Will Forte clip, or Will Forte didn't get nominated last year. Shit, from what from Nebraska? Nebraska? <laughs> didn't he get a Golden Globe nomination? Probably. Okay, so not the same thing. But um, his Heath Ledger clip, as you as you were, yeah. there you go. Um, but yeah, he basically admits that he turned down the fight out of jealousy because you know it should have been him. Which parentheses is the true story of Boss Rutten's MMA career. He did make it to the UFC and he was the heavyweight champion, but he basically just he blew his knee out and his neck got fucked up, so he wasn't really able to fight. But they incorporate that into the story here, and you know. Because in the movie, him and Scott are supposed to be the same age, correct? Right. He says, yeah. I'm your age, and you know, yeah. I'm not there. Or something. Yeah. So he turns it down out of jealousy, but after they have their heart-to-heart, it's all resolved. And so he sets up a, a meeting with Joe Rogan at the restaurant of uh, the, the aforementioned parent who hired Kevin James's brother on, and his restaurant's booming. And Rogan just reiterates everything that we just went over now, but also explains that... His restaurant is, here comes the booming. <laughs> Rogan explains, you know, he really appreciates what Scott Voss is doing. You know, music changed his daughter's life, etc., etc. And explains that he's going to fight Ken Dietrich. And we go right away. And, you know, and as I was explaining to you, this is a real thing that happens. The guys, just random schlubs like that, when a guy on a UFC pay per view card drops out, they'll pick him up and they have to be expected to fight on, you know, three, four, five days' notice. So. Uh, flies him out to Vegas, uh, not before we get my favorite gag of the entire film, <laughs> in which you know they think you, you think they're setting you up for like the slow mo dramatic walk to the plane, and it is slow motion, and then they check their watches, and then once more the title track of the film kicks in. Here comes the boom, and they are late for their flight. If you've ever if you've ever ran across the airport, and I have, this this hits every note. Like their faces, because it's all in slow motion. They're oh shit, I'm late. It's that is spot on for all four of them. It's great. So they get there. He makes weight. Um, the only part of this film that did not resonate with me is this right here: the food fight when they're just kind of chilling. I guess this was you know because this is a bit of a longer movie for a Happy Madison film. It, it clocks in at about an hour, 45, hour 50. If anything, I imagine this was to keep the children that were in the audience engaged. Because a food fight is always a successful Those recipe. children that shouldn't have been there, according to that critic. Yeah. That- <laughs> Dickhead. 
Um, yeah, it's possible. I think it's also not just the children. I think like we're going back to that core audience that they usually have. Mm -hmm. You know, the same people that uh, the people that that really enjoyed the the vomit joke. That's what the food fight is for. You know, they. It's like, hey, let's bring it down to basics, and mm -hmm. it's funny still because you know you have good performers doing it. But yeah. uh, I mean, you got the Fonz with cheesecake on his face. Exactly. It, of course, it's rewarding. Twice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also because things are this, is, I think like the last time that gets like really light, mm -hmm. and the next ten, fifteen minutes are gonna be really serious and yeah. really uh, things are gonna get ugly. I mean, it's in the middle of a food fight that you get the phone call from Bella uh, oh, yeah. that tells him that all the money they've raised so far. Is gone because what's his name? Elkins. Elkins, the good cop, was actually embezzling the funds. ice man. Yes. <laughs> uh, where is Nick Nolte when you need him? <laughs> yeah. This he, basically a glorified extra. Is... Yeah, yeah. He had like one scene where he was like, uh, You're I doing remember. a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's like, I played like the trombone or something when I was a kid. I get it. I get it. So, yeah, at that point, you know, Bella's trying to talk him out of the fight because she basically knows he's the proverbial lamb led to the slaughter because Ken Dietrich, uh, in a fitting sense, you know, it's it's who Scott was introduced to mixed martial arts through was him, you know, tapping out a motherfucker. And at this point, she's like, you don't have to do this. You know, what would it prove to the children if you did this now? And he said, what would it prove to him if I didn't? So Right. The spotlight's on him. And mm -hmm. Ken Dietrich, by the way, he looks, if I had known any better, I would have thought that was like a really young, really in shape Michael Rooker. <laughs> and then you told me, no, that's a real fighter. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Well, then I guess. This is something it, I have contention with. Ken Dietrich. I understand that's like a good bad guy name. The dude's real name is Christoph Sosinski. I mean, that's a pretty evil <laughs> fucking name to begin with. So. Um, but the fight's still on and we get, you know, the introduction to the pay-per-view, the training montage and it's go time and they get out to the cage. Uh, the music class plays Scott to the ring. Yeah. They, they somehow, they spent some of the money flying everybody to the, <laughs> at the school that didn't have a budget to begin <laughs> with. They're like, fuck it. We're going all in. But that's not exactly true because Joe Rogan hooked it up. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. He's like, how do you pull this off? Yeah. And Joe Rogan, um, because like Joe, Joe Rogan, Rogan saves the day. <laughs> he should have just like forked over the 48,000. Doesn't she say like, I called him and it just shows him any kind of shrugs? <laughs> He's like, ah, I do it all the time. I forget it, brother. <laughs> Out comes Dietrich and it is a brawl from the get-go, but it is a one-sided brawl as he is just beating the shit out of Scott Voss for two consecutive rounds to the point where, you know, he can't even see straight. It's, it's pretty amazing, like the way that the fight is shot. Like I'd forgotten and I was really... Even though, because like I said, I've seen this once when it mm -hmm. came out, and I had in the back of my head, I'm like, he wins, right? That's I remember. That's like the happy ending is that Kevin James wins. Mm -hmm. But I'm watching the movie. I'm like, there's no way that he wins because he's gonna get <laughs> shit out of him. And and they already set it up that it's okay if he doesn't win. Mm -hmm. You know, the Fonz at some point, like two rounds in, the Fonz tells him, "Listen, you don't have to win. You being here is enough to to inspire everybody, and we've already won in a way. We don't exactly. have the money, but we've already won." So that sets up perfectly for him not to win. Mm -hmm. it, and the way the fights are shot, I really didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and then, but he, you know, right before the fight starts, he asks, you know, what's my show money, and then what's my win money, and it's fifty grand if he wins. So you know, come hell or high water, he's going to win this. Right. And, but it's it's pretty amazing. I was thinking, you know, uh, there's there are other fight movies that are fully about fighting. Uh, let's say Rage and Bull. Mm -hmm. So this is like Raging Bull, but better because it's in color. It, it's Scorsese. I understand that was like way back in the day. He's still getting, he was still getting the hang of it. Uh, but this is, 
the Happy Madison people really learning from everything that's mm-hmm. happened before them and then applying to movie. And you, I wouldn't know that that was them. You know, these are not these are the same people that did. You know, click. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have known the way that this is shot. It's just like an actual fight, like a real action movie, and mm-hmm. it's it's pretty pretty amazing. And then going into the third round, you know, uh, Nico and Mark Delagrati try to give him all the technical advice from, you know, take it to the ground, keep it standing. And then the Fonz just cuts him off and he's like, look at all those kids over there you've inspired. That That's our only job as a teacher is to inspire. And, you know, we, you've already won. And at that point, he has something to prove to himself. He may have already won in that aspect, but he's got to go out there and prove something to himself. And he comes out. And in a really well-told story, because, you know, this isn't Hollywood. There, I have seen, with my own two eyes, nights where fighters going into the last round or just in general, I am not going to lose this fight and then go out there and, you know, pull it off. And in a realistic manner, uh, Dietrich gets him into a triangle choke, then switches it over to an armbar. He's unable to get that, so it goes back to the triangle choke. And Scott picks him up and slams him, and the impact of it knocks him out cold. It's uh, Well, there's two things. One is that, obviously, it, cliches are – they come from real life. That's how they become cliches, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, that's, it, it, so everything is based on actual – on reality. So the idea that somebody can look in slow motion at, like, the kids and at Salma Hayek and at, at Henry Winkler and just go, like, fuck it. This is I, – I, I'm catching my second wind and now I'm going – that happens in real life. <laughs> It also happens to happen in a lot of movies. So when you see it happen, you're like, "Fuck it, they're doing just what they do." <laughs> no, but that happens in real life. That's 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 really how it would happen to to a guy that's like like Kevin James. Mm-hmm. It, that's what he needs. The boost that he needs is from seeing the people that love him and count on him, and that would be enough to drive him to success. Here's the other thing, and I, this is where we're gonna get a little controversial because maybe I have a different read from the movie than you do, which is that. Before the third round starts, because when the, when the movie starts, or I'm sorry, when the last fight starts uh, against uh, Michael Rooker, Michael Rooker doesn't. He won't even like, you know, do the thing with the gloves or like he he punches uh, touches gloves. Yeah, sign of respect. That thing. He doesn't do it. Coming in the third round, that's right. He touches gloves with them. He does. Like the, the Joe Rogan says, oh, he's earned his respect because he's still standing. So there's a good chance that Michael Rooker throws a fight. I mean, he still puts on a show, but he's so <laughs> impressed. Like we all are in the audience mm. by Kevin James's determination and by the love that this audience, you know, his students and everybody else have for him, that he's like, "Fuck it, I'll just give it to him," well, and and so he puts up a fight and and but in the end he lets himself loose, which makes it very complex, <laughs> and and luckily the 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 filmmakers leave it ambiguous. Okay. I, I, I see it and I like I it even Scott better. I think Scott Voss won that fight fair and square. <laughs> really? You're well. I, I'm a I'm a Rooker truther, so <laughs> I think that there was, I think there was a third shooter. But <laughs> so he wins regardless. He gets his full purse and the, reinstates the music program at the school, and pretty much everything's good. Him and Bella have their tender embrace in a fine comedic moment though, because they can't figure out how to kiss through the chain link fence of the octagon. Oh, here's another. See, this is how I know I'm right. Because he's supposedly, Rooker is supposedly knocked out. Mm-hmm. But then, like, 30 seconds later, he's up and like, hugging him and telling him that that was a good fight. You should probably watch some more mixed martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, everything's good. Back to normal. Um, doesn't look like he's going to be fighting anytime soon, but does have the one memorable appearance inside the Ultimate Fighting Championship. 
Um, and yeah, everything pretty much ends on a, a high note. Even uh, Greg German, Herman, the evil principal. He's there for the fight. He, yeah. He's cheering for him. Uh, and then at the very end, the the all the immigrants become citizens because mm-hmm. they learn to fight. And Nico him. has his amazing American tie. And yeah, um, the last shot of the movie. They pull back from all the, the all the courthouse. new citizens, yeah. yeah, stepping out of the courthouse, and then you see the American flag waving. That it, is just going back. That that was probably the last big comedic gag of the film was all his students from the immigration class just watching the fight in stone silence. <laughs> like there's all the party cups and like you know refreshments everywhere, but no one's saying anything. <laughs> nor does anyone look excited at all. Yep, it's a great gag. But yeah, a fitting ending. Uh, especially because it pays off the underwriting theme of Nico. The entire film is that he's studying. For, right, right. Yeah. He he becomes a citizen, and that American flag. I mean, that is just that's ten times more powerful than the American flag at the end of uh, Saving Private Ryan. Because <laughs> in a way, it's like you know that Tom Hanks and Matt Damon they're likable people. You 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 know that they're playing what they usually play. But here, Kevin James mm-hmm. playing an MMA fighter. That's something you didn't see coming. Mm-hmm. So. And these personalities that you didn't even know going into the film, right? So the 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 idea of the American dream being, if you want it, you can get it. If you fight hard enough, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. That resonates a lot harder in in a movie like this with that kind of protagonist, mm-hmm. somebody who was like dead inside at the beginning of the movie, and now he's just a completely different human being. He gets the girl. He helps. He saves of, the day. He saves the day. Gets the money. That's just everything is good. But unfortunately, not too many people agreed with that. Well, fuck them. <laughs> Let's do real talk. Let's do it. Boom. Here comes the boom. Ready or not. Here come the boys from the south. It's all right. It's all right. Give them the shots, Scott. Right here. Boom. Here comes the boom. Ready or not. <laughs> Here comes Scott from the south. Boom. Here comes the boom. Ready or not. How you like me now? Okay. All right. So... Here comes the boom, and again, bonus episode. So we didn't hit every beat there in the first part. We're just, you know, we could have we could have done three hours on just on just Contrarian's combo easily. So here comes the boom was released on October twelfth, twenty twelve. I found that release date kind of quizzical because you would think this would be like a summer movie or something like that. Um, I think it just shows that they were not confident on you know what is it like if Kevin James is in a good movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's find out in October. Um, budget of forty-two million, box office of seventy-three million. Basically, a passion project from Kevin James. I was explaining to Julio while we were recording this that um, the way I first heard about this movie and had any intrigue with it was Joe Rogan on his podcast or an interview or something like that, just talking about how Kevin James really believed in this and was pretty much the main financial backer behind it, and then also lost like fucking eighty pounds for it, so that he was clearly. He wanted to display MMA, you know, he wanted to make a good family movie, but at the same time not make a joke out of MMA, and did so. Now, the Frank Corasi, the director, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correct, uh, Corasi perhaps, 
Happy Madison Faithful, um, as we were talking about during that, uh, had done the Waterboy, Click, Zookeeper, Here Comes the Boom, Blended the Ridiculous Six, but also the Wedding Singer, which we agreed is probably our favorite uh, cliched Sandler film. Yeah, and you know, it just goes to show, I mean, I think by now it's like, we both like it. <laughs> Real talk, we really like it. Uh, here Comes the Boom or the Wedding Singer? There, here Comes the Boom. Okay. Because uh, I was going to say, I... I like, like, I mean, besides everything else, like the way it's directed, the way it's shot, I mm-hmm. actually like it. Mm-hmm. Like, I was still, uh, I, I was not kidding. And during hashtag CC, that, <laughs> that those fight scenes are, are pretty well shot. Mm-hmm. And I never would have guessed that that's from, you know, somebody that does the kind of comedies that Happy Madison is, is known for. Yeah. So it kind of, it goes to show that sometimes you just need, it's, it's a material, you yeah. know, you get a better script, you get a, a, some intent behind it and suddenly everybody elevates their game. I mean, it's not just the director, it's it, you know, Kevin James, how many bad movies have we seen him in? And yeah, <laughs> Paul Blart was right. very, very bad. Yes. And, and yet here he's, he's great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Frank, uh, what's his name? Well, we don't know how to pronounce his last Karassi. name. Karassi. Karassi. Good for him. And he should make more movies like this one. I doubt he will, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> Still, he got one out at least. Yeah. That's that's more than we can say, you know, about ourselves. Not everyone hated it. It did not do very well. Obviously, the box office return is not that of which Happy Madison's used to. Uh, nor were the view- reviews kind, as it stands at a, a meager thirty-eight percent on the RT. Yeah, thirty-eight percent. I mean, th- to be fair, a lot of those bad reviews. When I was looking for quotes, a lot of them are very like kind. We're mm-hmm. just saying. It's not great, but it's better than you know what you would expect. Uh, but they were still rotten. But there's some fresh ones. So uh, Jackie K. Cooper from JackieKCooper.com says, Kevin James stars in the feel-good movie of the year. Kevin Carr from Fat Guys at the Movies says, Superior to Warrior in every way. I think that running a website calls Fat Guys at the Movies, I mean, he might be a little biased. That's so awesome, though. It's so, like, <laughs> matter of fact. Because we were talking about that. Kevin James has an interesting history of, um, and by interesting history, I mean two examples, of <laughs> movies coming out right around the same time as other movies that are shockingly similar to it with this, and obviously, uh, Observer Report. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, I mean... I, I did mention while we were watching it, I was like, some of the story beats are just so much like Warrior. And, it, yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead and just say, now, the fight scenes in this are more realistic than the fight scenes in Warrior. The the A lot of the things that happen in Warrior, like, obviously a lot of things here are obviously done for movie's sake, too. It's kind of like Rocky, not fucking every punch is a haymaker type thing. And some of the grappling's a bit drawn out. But at the same time, the mechanics and the technicalities of the grappling and things like that are more realistic than what you see in Warrior. And also, I love Warrior, but no athletic commission would allow a fighter to fight with a broken arm. <laughs> that That's always very much bothered me about the ending of that film. So what you're saying is that if Kevin James got into a fight with Tom Hardy, Kevin James would probably win because he was in the more realistic movie. So realistically, he has a better chance. Realistically... And Tom Hardy's really hot, so I don't, <laughs> I, I couldn't pick any man over him. Uh all right, so back to the quotes. Uh, we have Jolene Mendes from Entertainment Spectrum says, Kevin James transformed not only into a fighter, but also managed to perfect his lead role performance. Bob Bloom from Journal and Courier, uh, no, Journal and Courier, 
Here Comes Boom plays it smart through appealing to its audience by acting like the class clown. Amy Nicholson from Box Office Magazine says Rocky for fifth graders with enough pro-school propaganda to make parents think it's worth the price of popcorn. Cam, Cam Williams from My Film Blog says an entertaining and uplifting star vehicle showcasing Kevin James's comic genius at its best. Whether he's doing pratfalls in a mask and ill-fitting stretchy pants or futilely wooing the woman of his dreams. So first off, it's not Rocky because in Rocky he's fighting you know the best fighter in the world in the main event of a big event. And he loses. This is he's fighting in a preliminary fight on like a not that big of a deal show, <laughs> which has always been uh, my friends that I've talked to about that are big MMA aficionados <laughs> like myself that like it. That's always been like our favorite thing is how he, it, he doesn't really have like a big fight. It's just a preliminary fight that he was like a last minute replacement on. So, but he still makes $50,000, which again is small. And we could, I could go on for several episodes <laughs> of a podcast about how MMA fighters get paid way too little. Um, well, you tell that to that music department. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fine movie. I remember watching it, um, not really knowing what to expect, and I came out of it being like, "That that's fine." I I don't know how I ended up watching it. It's not because I'm not an MMA fan. I'm not a Kevin James fan. I I I cannot remember how I ended up in the theater watching. It. I know I didn't screen it. I actually went to the theater. Uh, but I I remember liking it a lot and then feeling this sort of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, like, it was like, oh, so it's not just me. When you told me that you liked it, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, um, this is legit then. It's, a, it's an actually good movie. I had a friend who I hadn't seen in a while and we were just catching up about stuff. And it was shortly after this film came out and um, it somehow came up in conversation and he waited for me to say that I liked it before he was like, okay, good. I liked it too. <laughs> Um, it, again, the fight scenes are as bad as realistic, you know, MMA has been attempted, uh, warriors really good, obviously, um, that the, the, the mixed martial arts portion of that is just circumstantial to the story though. It's not an MMA movie. It's a movie about like lost family, broken bonds, things like that. Whereas this is obviously just like a comedy based around MMA. Um, you've had shit shows like never back down and like all those shitty like teen <laughs> movies they make, but, uh, but this also does well to MMA fans. And there are so many, like, in-jokes for MMA fans. Like, in the montage of him winning fights, he taps out a fighter. They don't identify him, but the guy playing him is a professional fighter by the name of Chael Sonnen, who, in his most famous fight ever, tapped out and then immediately said, I didn't tap, I didn't tap. And that's what he does. Like, Kevin James taps him out and he stands <laughs> up and... And Joe Rogan, some of the things he says on commentary are good inside references. Um, now, the puking, the and raining. Uh, well, no, the puking, like the fight that gets rained on, the fight he has where the ring breaks, those are all based off like real things that have happened in MMA. Oh, I like, thought you were going to say, that's bullshit. No, those are all like, and that's kind of like a <coughs> paying mind to... Obviously, it works out well because it is a happy, a happy Madison movie that that kind of shit can be placed in there. But it's all things that I didn't have a problem with just because they've all happened and are documented well on YouTube. Um, Nico, Boss Rutten, like I was telling you, and the same thing with Mark Delagrati, not really knowing who they, are, who they are, you would think like this is weird, but that's really just how they are. But that's the thing. I wouldn't. I mean, in the in the sense that this is a comedy and it's not 
it's not a documentary. It's not a serious, greedy drama or anything. They played fine as characters in a Kevin James movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with Kevin James being extremely toned down compared yeah. to what we're used to, it's not like they were super over the top. They were just quirky. But, yeah. I mean, the 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 immigration student, the Mexican guy that keeps saying, I'm citizen. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, that guy is over the top. If you told me, yeah. okay, that's how that guy is in real life, I'd be like, okay. Well, that's... <laughs> but, but Nico and the other guy, they, they were just all right. They seemed yeah. peculiar, but not. It, yeah. they didn't take me out of the movie. I had to explain to Julio that Boss Rutten really just, in regular conversation, just makes weird sound effects like that. <laughs> if you've never seen Boss Rutten's uh, street fighting home tutorial video, go YouTube that. Pause this right now and go YouTube that immediately. Um, Selma Hayek's fine. She was clearly on set for like maximum twelve hours, but she makes the most out of those twelve hours. I mean, she really. Uh, I I buy her as as it is shocking that no one really phones it in here. Henry Winkler is excellent. Oh, Henry Winkler, it's amazing. He's really the heart of the movie, and mm-hmm. uh, it probably wouldn't work as well if you didn't buy him in that role. But you do. You really care for him, for his baby. For uh, someone by all accounts should just be dead behind the eyes, like in this movie, like he's he legitimately gives like a genuine effort. He throws himself the role. I mean, everything he does uh, when they first go in, the first time that they go into a fight, and with here comes the boom playing, and of course Kevin James is funny doing his little dance, but the fact that Henry Winkler is dancing behind him, that is what cracks me up. It's the first I think shot of him training where. Henry Winkler's just wrapped in a mattress, and Kevin <laughs> James is kicking it, and Henry Winkler says, oh, this is a terrible mattress. I can feel everything. Uh, yeah, and of course, he gets one of the most emotional, if not the most emotional uh, scene in the movie, when he gives him that speech uh, during the final fight, right before the third round, and, and he talks about the students and how even if he loses, he's already won. Also, that shit is like, that is an Oscar clip. That was, that is genuine that that mm-hmm. is really like pure emotion and it's earned through the entire movie that's it, it's really good and it kind of now i'm getting a little angry that <laughs> nobody talked about it nobody cared nobody i mean that's cool that all the all the quotes are about how cool kevin james is because he's really good in the movie and mm-hmm. and it's a good change of pace for him to actually do something like this but uh nobody mentioned Harry winkler and he's great it's a fascinating movie in that i wonder if people would be more kind or really if it didn't have that happy Madison banner over it, if it didn't have that stigma about it, but also Kevin James and absolutely deserves stigma around him as well as being. Well, like, yeah, I mean, you made you make enough shitty movies and you, you just you earn a reputation. And but this comes back to like we rarely come to this because a lot of times it's like Empire Records where I'm like, I just have an attachment to it. But every once in a while, we'll come across like these movies that were like, no, it's like a good movie. Uh <laughs> Family Stone is probably one of them that comes to mind. Uh, 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 well, uh, you know. That you still haven't just come around <laughs> to. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And it's... I would gladly watch this over fucking Million Dollar Baby any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be a, an awesome double feature. I, I think you start with Million Dollar Baby, and then this one picks you up. And then you redeem that right. pile of shit with yeah. this. Um yeah, but Kevin James is good. He's very he is the least comedic probably of anyone in the film, which is really interesting. But he ha- I mean the thing but is the no, comedy not to he say does, he does have good moments. Right. It, it, the the thing is that his comedy is not the comedy that you're used to expecting from him in these kind of movies. Mm-hmm. So the pratfalling is at a minimum uh from him and uh 
I was watching it and watching it. It was just this weird because I remember I think the last thing I saw him in was Grown Ups Two, which Oof. is the complete opposite when you come when you're talking about movies that he's in. Grown Ups Two is just a big giant fart movie, mm-hmm. and he's doing a lot of farting in it. And <laughs> here he's just playing an actual guy like that's believable that has feelings and goals and in contradictions and all this stuff. It, it's that's cool. I'm mean, like you can do this. It's a shame that. What you're known the most for is a very simplistic version of yourself. And again, going back to being complimentary of the fight scenes in this, something I do appreciate too. He doesn't win. He doesn't beat Ken Dietrich by being more skilled than him. He just basically Dietrich had... throws a fight, like explaining Contrarian's <laughs> corner. He has a. I like that better than Contrarian's combo. Oh, Contrarian's corner. corner. Yeah, there you go. Especially in this in this particular episode. Yeah, um, but no, that's something. He just basically overpowers him for one moment and slams him. Like, I do you really think that it's absolutely completely out of the realm of possibility that Dietrich threw the fight in the narrative of this film? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I've seen plenty of guys get knocked out from that same type of thing. Well, yeah, yeah, but isn't it cooler if you think that Dietrich was inspired by the kids, the high school kids singing? At least and- I would have hoped he would have sat up and like winked at him. <laughs> But that would take away from it. Then you just like. But when he hugs him after the fight, they have the ice pack on the back of his head, and he's clearly rattled and stuff. He, and Scott Voss. Well, I'm not saying he didn't him. get knocked out. I'm saying he allowed himself to get knocked out. Oh, okay. Because you can just do that. Well, yeah, you just you lower your defenses for a second. And gotcha. That's how fighting works, right? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. You you let him like get your energy bar all the way to the end, <laughs> and then you just time it. And then. Oliver Platt slams him off the top of the cage. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was one thing I said while we were watching this is that Here Comes the Boom proves that, in theory, movies like Ready to Rumble can work, like goofy comedies based around something genuine. But, you know, if you provide enough effort to it and not just, like, fart something out, like, no pun intended. But I mean, yeah, you mentioned that this was a, a passion project for Kevin James, and it shows. Yeah. That is, I think that's key to making a movie good. You have to be passionate about the material. And obviously he is, and that's infectious. Mm-hmm. So he cares, then everybody else cares, and suddenly uh, Frank, what's his name, is turning out the best movie that he's ever made for Frank <laughs> for uh, Happy Madison. Yeah, and you know, Sama Hayek, we may joke, it seems like she probably was on set just for a couple of days, but in her scenes, she gives a genuine effort and seems to be like enjoying herself too. Yeah, I, I totally buy their chemistry, and I also... I mean that is not like a super hard sell, but it's still a hard sell yeah. that that yeah. that they will hook up, you know. But but it's it, they play it off well. I really like that they don't kiss until the very end of the movie. Mm-hmm. They they have that playful date, and she fights him. She has that line about how her dad like taught her to always like punch first or hit first. That yeah. that's awesome. She uh, I, I mean I wasn't kidding. She she really she comes out on top. I think in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, just overall, really enjoy it. Um, now, on the downside, there is like the, the, the I mean, the food fight, the vomit to point because even if it's based on like a real thing, it's just like it's funny. It's it's oh, probably no, it set can be based up, on a real thing, but you know, based on the situation provided, it just does seem like a cheap ploy for laughs. Yeah, there are there are a few moments where the movie just slides into. Let's just be dumb and do dumb humor. In case you forgot, this was a Happy Madison film. Yeah, seriously. It's just like, uh, well, 
you know, let's show this guy's butt crack or whatever. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, well, you're doing so much better. You don't need this. Mm-hmm. But why would you put it there? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, But that does, that's not enough. I mean, it happens very rarely. So it's not enough to turn me off the movie. It's enough to take you out of it for a few minutes. But then basically, it'll, basically my experience, it things the stupid shit like that will take you out of it but then something else will happen that can suck me right back right, in right because usually it's full pretty up much henry by, winkler yeah it's full up usually by a really awesome scene that that really ups the stakes uh god henry winkler is so good i <laughs> i keep thinking of like just all his other scenes uh, he tells him we're going back to that that little speech uh right before the third round when he tells him that uh, he tells Kevin James, my wife told me that you said that I'm your hero, but you're my hero. Yeah. God, that's <laughs> <laughs> Oscar clip. Yeah, and I guess yeah too. I kind of forgot that spiel that James goes on in the principal's office is like with how shitty like the American education system is right now. It's like goddamn. Like, well, yeah. Then he talks about it with Sama Hayek either before or after when he's telling her, well, you know, do you just kind of like. You can't stop to to really coach the ones that are falling behind. You just have to like move them through. And you can't so accelerate you, for the you, ones exactly. That you, yeah. you can't accelerate to the ones that are like getting bored. And he's like, "Oh, it's a comedy," but he's really talking about something that actually happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it makes perfect sense. You're like, oh, "Of course, if I was a teacher, I was put in that position. It makes sense. After a few years, I'll be like Kevin James. I'll be completely checked out. I would come in just to like collect my paycheck yeah. and." So this movie is just a, the more we talk about it, very strange, like the cauldron that brewed this movie, like the elements they put in there. It's it's a very strange film and pretty much in every positive way. Yeah. And the fact that it gets a 38 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, it just this is also me. a movie that basically critics that went into it, they had their mind made up before going into it. Right. And you almost, almost can't fault them because... I agree. Right. They're, well, those those preconceived notions are coming Paul from Blart. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, uh, again, cannot be understated. I still think that's the worst movie we've watched doing this. Uh, sir, <laughs> let me remind you. <laughs> sir? Uh, no, no, dude. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was going to save this comment for our uh, for our second uh, year anniversary, but I'll make it now. We keep bringing up Paul Blart as like, the worst of the worst. But uh, uh, that fucking Tim Allen movie that we watched oh, for Christmas. Oh, Christmas with the Cranks. Christmas with the Cranks is worse than Paul Blart. That always gets – that falls through the cracks because that was part of a compilation episode. Right, right. We yeah. didn't dedicate a whole episode to it. But Ag- we did watch the whole movie. Agreed. <laughs> yes. You are correct, sir. That is – oh, man. Because we're never really going to go back into it again. If you haven't listened to our Christmas episode, go back. <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks is like, we were both like furious. <laughs> I enjoyed it more than you did because I at least I could look at you and like see you squirm and, and laugh about it. I've already seen it, so I, I, I knew what I was getting into. Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis trying to get a spray tan to go on their cruise and then... yeah. Because they can't stand up to their daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Or their neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, but again, to the point, with good cause, I pronounce you Chuck and Larry, grilled, uh, Paul Blart. Yeah, critics rightfully went into it. And, you know, I kind of wish this had been, if it had toned down a little on the comedy and, like, the fart gags and shit like that, so to speak, this could have been, like, uh, almost like Kevin James's wrestler. 
<laughs> he had like the one big performance and never again. Well, did I, I told you when we're watching it, I, when the credits were rolling, the end credits, and I said, it's entirely possible that Kevin James peaked with this movie as far as quality goes. Yeah. I uh, I mean, I haven't looked at filmography, so I don't know if he did anything else after this movie that I would say, oh, that's a great movie. You should watch it. Well, he was in The Master, but outside of that. The fuck? <laughs> I actually, for half a second, you had me. I was like, what? Where? He was one of the naked people behind Amy right. Adams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like we've pointed out its flaws and that there's a couple of scenes that go intentionally for toilet humor that derail the momentum the movie's built so far, but then they immediately put it back on track. Um, so, yeah, it is it is frustrating that it's ranked so low and that, especially given, you know, our current climate of the way people think Rotten Tomatoes is like <laughs> judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, uh, that's just shrug it off. Well, it's, it's, it's a vicious circle because Rotten Tomatoes proclaims itself as being this really important measurement tool and then because they have to because that's all they have because right. they don't contribute anything but then what happens is movies that get a high score on tomatoes they use that as, as part of their marketing it is a vicious circle and so that in fact empowers on tomatoes and really because it's a what do you call it like a self-perpetrating lie self-fulfilling prophecy that you know it's like oh well i got a 90 percent on tomatoes so my movie must be good so i'm gonna use it to promote the movie the first in, yeah dude when fucking movies on their dvd releases started putting certified fresh on it i was like <laughs> it's over <laughs> the battle has been lost because again you know we jest and have fun and our whole mission statement here is to argue against that but all rotten tomatoes is is an accumulation of what people say yeah it, it's just i i keep arguing with people i just tell them it's just a popularity contest mm. And popularity does not equal quality. Well, even that, it's like, I remember Eddie one time said, and it's about as easily as you can break a movie down, because I was talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the Ben Stiller one. It's 50%. And he's like, that literally is just saying that every other person said they would go see it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Um, which, yeah, just complete sidebar. I recently rewatched that movie. Uh, I cut a little bit of it on cable. Fucking wonderful. Yes. Yeah. That movie is fantastic. That that would be hard to do a gray area episode because we both like it so much. Oh, one of us would have to fight yeah. uh, against it. But no, it's... I don't know. It's not... Kevin James isn't so good in this to the point where it's like frustrating. Where it's like, you know, oh, why didn't you do more? But at the same time, it's like, man, when he really gives a genuine effort, it's, it is kind of like the Adam Sandler thing. I don't think Adam Sandler was ever going to be Robert De Niro or anything like that. But at the same so time... So you're saying this is Kevin James's punch strong glove. Well, kind of. <laughs> there's, there's <laughs> not, not as dark, obviously. Yeah, but there's not the epic showdown between Philip Seymour Hoffman and. By the way, do you believe that theory that, uh, or that fan <laughs> theory, or whatever that? Don't tell me that Philip Seymour Hoffman is still alive. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Punch Drunk Love is P.T. Anderson's Superman movie. You ever heard that? No. <laughs> oh, really? Because Adam Sandler wears like his suit is like Superman's colors and everything like that. And basically the way he portrays the character. <laughs> what? I no. think I, for some reason I feel like it was Alex Payne that told me that not Alexander Payne, not the director. <laughs> I think it's the second time in this podcast that we've had to uh, make clear that we know a Alex Payne, <laughs> not, but not, the. not the Alex Payne. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just another reason to rewatch punch strong love and, 
Just look at. So that means that Philip Seymour Hoffman is uh, Lex Luthor. Yeah, I read like a breakdown of it one time because I actually looked it up online. It's something that people tend to have some kind of theory about. Um, I just think it's a good movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's this. Here comes the boom is a fine representation of MMA and film. Uh, if you hate Kevin James in movies, you should watch it and see if that changes your mind. Mm-hmm. You might be pleasantly surprised. Agreed. Salma Hayek's hot. Well, yeah, but that happens regardless of the quality of the movie. And if you think a lifetime of acting can beat you down and that you know basically you're just phoning it in watch this to watch henry winkler prove that dead wrong (laughs) again i enjoyed this movie but that was the main takeaway from this viewing is that he really is just polished everything he's given he nails he's uh, right he there's that picture there's a moment where you see the picture of a young henry winkler where he's naked but covered by like a tuba or something and it's it's a reminder of he was in such a a big hit. He was in Happy Days. He was a huge star. And I remember seeing, uh, man, it was around the time that The Waterboy came out. And uh, E! Entertainment was doing one of those, like, behind the scenes, The Waterboy. And they were interviewing yeah. people, whatever. And they had Henry Winkler in it. I haven't seen The Waterboy, but I know Winkler is in it because of this You thing. haven't seen it ever? Nope. Keep it that way. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to. It's trash. <laughs> but I remember him being really excited about the fact that he was in a big studio comedy at the time. That that's what he was saying in the interview. And he he was just basically saying that he hoped it did well and it would do something for his career. Aww. And he, I know, I was like, oh, the fonts, <laughs> the fonts. <laughs> and uh, and and then he ended the. I think it was like the last thing in the in the little thirty minute behind the scenes thing. It was him telling the interviewer, and now if you forgive me, I have to go light a candle and pray for the success of this movie or something. Oh, my God. And I was like, I really, I don't know about this movie. I'm not going to watch it, but I really hope it does well because Henry Winkler, obviously, one, needs the work, and two, needs the, the self-esteem, like, hit, you know? And so years later to see him in Here Comes the Boom doing a great job, really stealing the movie, that makes me feel good. Yeah. So, and he's still working, so ultimately that's that's all that matters. Have you ever seen Night Shift? No, I've always wanted to. I remember... Uh, when I first was first learning how to use the internet, trying to figure out what did uh, the fonts do after Happy Days, <laughs> <laughs> and Night Shift kept popping up, and I was like, okay, I guess it's something I need and to that watch. That was like Michael Keaton's big Ron Howard, right? Isn't he? That was Ron Howard's first film. Yeah, yeah. You may be surprised to know it has a cameo from Clint Howard in it. <laughs> uh, no, it's excellent. no. <laughs> It's tremendous. Um, so, yeah, just uh, we wanted to pop out this quick bonus episode. Um, for those of you who are MMA fans, be sure to tune in Saturday night for Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz Part 2. You um, might see Alex in the background. Possible. God. Taking his shirt off and waving it. <laughs> it's possible. Um, yeah, me and just a bunch of fucking drunk Irish people. should be. Dude, we really need to. If we had the Contrarian shirts by now, you'd be wearing a Contrarian shirt and... That's like, true. We just point at you. <laughs> the big C. <laughs> uh, so now following up from this, we have our next few episodes outlined. Uh, we're doing Punisher. Punisher next, the 89. The Punisher. 89, don't, not, don't go watch the Thomas Jane one. I mean, you can if you want to, but <laughs> that's not the one we're going to talk about. Yeah, I've only seen this one once. I own it. And I remember... You own the old Punisher? The Dolph Lundgren how did, one? How did that happen? 
the Denton Hastings. Oh, <laughs> the legend. That's all I have to say. And you Julio know, immediately knows what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but also, you know what? I, I shouldn't be surprised because really, anytime you go through my movie collection and you just stop and go like, "Why do you have this?" Mm. It's because oh, well, Walmart Walmart had it for like three dollars. There's a lot of those in there, but there's a lot of like because I have like the original release of it. I think so. <laughs> um, like a the third metal case. Yeah. So <laughs> I went to school at the University of North Texas and they had a Hastings in Denton that was just the absolute treasure trove. Anyone who ever went there would agree with me and like a third of my DVD collection came from there. Um so Yeah, there uh, there were two Hastings in College Station. I think that uh one of them might still be going, but when they closed one of them, I remember seeing about it, you know, hearing about it online. And uh, and just being like, damn it, I wish I was there mm-hmm. to just take advantage of the sale. Cause they, they would always have just like these stupid sales of like, um, buy three get two free, or like <laughs> buy ten and they're only two dollars each, like that kind of shit. So yeah, I would just fucking stock up all the goddamn time. That's how I came across hard candy. I would just buy movies I never heard of. And yeah, like, okay. Um, so the Punisher, and then following that is uh, either, either um. That thing you do, or it follows. It and all it's it all depends on Eddie Strait and his ability to uh, abandon his family for a few hours. Such is the life of a married man with children. With two children, yeah. Um, and then Valley of the Dolls, and then whichever the other one. Yeah, whatever the other one is. Which I'm very excited about. Going back to that thing you do, very underrated film. Yes, but we have to figure out a way to trash it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you have any plugs for this week, Julio? Uh, I do. I do. Um, there's this movie I saw last year at the Other Worlds Film Festival, which I actually, I think I, I gave a shout out in an earlier episode to the Science Fiction Film Festival here in Austin. Our buddy it, Reed works for it. Yep. Uh, that's how I, I, I got in there. Uh, there's this movie called Embers. It's about, uh, it was my favorite movie in the festival. It's about these, uh, people. It's basically... Uh, this plague of amnesia has taken over the planet. And so every time you go to sleep, you wake up and you forget everything. You just start kind of from scratch. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty fucked up. And it follows like several characters through their day. And, and it's just like, it, it's it's very interesting. I, I mean, I wouldn't want to spoil it for anybody. But uh, I've been, I started following them on Twitter since I saw the movie last year. And I guess they finally got released on iTunes. So if you want to watch the movie, now you can. You just go to iTunes, search Embers. And it comes up, and it's well worth your while. So I would definitely recommend watching it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, one of my friends in Peru has a podcast uh, in Spanish. So if you're listening to us and you speak Spanish, and I know we have some Peruvian listeners, and somehow you don't listen to Nacion Combi, uh, you should. Uh, they uh, they couldn't be a more different podcast from ours. <laughs> <laughs> Not just because of the language, but also because they talk about basically current events in Peru. But they they gave us a shout out the last two episodes, and I've been I, I went on vacation uh, the last few weeks, so I haven't been listening to any podcasts, and I just started catching up this week. And so I listened to their last two episodes, and I saw they mentioned us, and I felt mm-hmm. like an ass for not bringing it up before. Uh, but that's the prequel, and they're they're really good. That's they're one of the sources I use to keep up with Peruvian current affairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're funny, and they talk not just about politics, but also about whatever. The last episode they were talking about uh, Pokemon Go because it it just started in Peru, 
Where is the Pokemon? Where is the po- Literally, where is the Pokemon? <laughs> in the park. Uh, it, so, yeah, they talk about a lot of stuff. And so this is good. Um, the title, uh, this is worth explaining. So it's like, it's basically combination. Uh, combi is uh, this type of bus in Peru that doesn't follow regular like bus rules. It's like a, it's like a tiny little van that will, it doesn't just stop at bus stops. It stops anywhere. And the drivers are known for being really reckless and really, and and of course it's cheaper than a regular bus, but you're, you're paying less, but you're also risking your life. And of course they're like crammed with people. So it's not just people sitting there, but also people standing and, um, well, I think the buses are like that too. I don't know. I haven't I haven't taken a bus in Peru in a long time. Um, but anyway, so they're like these little like death machines that take you places, and so for them to call it Combi Nation, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, but that's it. And also, finally, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, our friend Brandon Curtis, who's recovering from surgery. Absolutely, he'll be uh, five days into recovery when this comes out, and. Uh, I'm sure uh, he'll be doing fine. All the best. Uh, yes, all the best, always. Um, outside of that, oh, our, our buddy Chaz that watches the show finally gave me, <laughs> said he hated to agree with me, but he finally did. So welcome aboard. Welcome to the dark side, sir. Yeah, he agreed with you on the A-team. He said that I needed to give it more love. Yeah. I think I gave it just about enough love. You did. I, having re-listened to it, yeah, in the first part, you're just very convincing, but you do <laughs> you do agree in the second part. That, I mean, obviously, I don't love it as much as you do, but mm-hmm. it's still... Which is, you know, not completely understandable, but I'll allow it. Since we're talking about reactions to the ATM episode, uh, I think uh, we incurred the wrath of uh, Eddie Strait because uh, we happened to uh, praise Revolutionary Road. And smoking aces. And smoking aces. That was just <laughs> that was too much for him. Yeah. Well, smoking aces is better than the gray, <laughs> so he can live with that. <laughs> and yeah, Revolutionary Road's fine. It, it is an amazing movie. It is. I need to just sit Eddie down and just make him watch it again. Yeah, it's not fun, but that's not the point of it. That's right. Maybe we, he has it like he has experience again with us with him. <laughs> For moral support, then maybe doing he can the thing it. like I during the A team where I was eh eh <laughs> eh. Uh, but that was here comes the boom. That was a lot of fun. That was more fun than I was. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I really loved rewatching it. Yeah, uh, but we do appreciate y'all listening to this episode of the Contrarians. This Bono Epo. Uh, this is the Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong. Uh, go to a bar. Go to your buddy's house. Do what you need to do. Be sure to check out Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz this Saturday night. But we will catch you next time for The Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. In the meantime, take care. Be blessed. You're a citizen now. Let me tell you first that I've been around. I've been a bouncer for many, many years. Bang, bang, bang. 
It's a street fight. Never look away from your opponent. Look, sir, I really don't want anything of this. And I go like this, and I slit your throat, and it's over and out. Everybody underestimates the kick in the groin. Boom, that's the first thing to do. I follow up, bang, bang, bang. Right away after that, dang it, the dang it, the dang. See what I'm doing? Boom, that's the left elbow right there. I can also deliver, bang, headbutt out of nothing. Boom, right elbow, bring right straight. Maybe now the headbutt comes, knee to the face, and looky, look what we got here. Smack his face, smack his face. Create distance and grab a chair. You can slam it into his face. You can stab with it. And while I throw it at him, I will kick him in the groin. Boom, right straight. Going to bounce his head on the table ten times or something. Don't, don't you ever do this. Right away you say, okay, I'm sorry. Bang, bang, bang. No, I'm not. And he comes in. Boom, front kick. Boom, boom. Simultaneously. The elbow in the head, grab his wrist, grab your own wrist, and bend his arm. I control him, you see? Knee in the head, I can bounce him against the wall, everything I want to do. We grab, but just to make sure, we grab this arm also. Now we're in total control. She tried to kill me, so I gotta return it the favor. 